0: Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 3 with me uh, this morning as we look at uh, this particular chapter. It's kind of a simple chapter yet a profound chapter at the same time. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Undoubtedly one of the most uh, uh, difficult things, one of the greatest struggles that uh, those who serve Christ, those who try to minister His Word face is the lack of response on the part of people that are under the hearing of the Word. Uh, many a pastor has left the ministry because no matter what they've tried to do, no matter how hard they have tried to minister and teach the Word of God, uh, people have not responded and have not accepted the truth that they're teaching. Others who have been working in youth ministry, for, for example, uh, might uh, fade away after a time because the kids, no matter what they try to do, the kids just want to goof around and have a good time and so forth, but they don't want to hear the Word of God and they don't want to respond to it. Many good men and women who love the Lord, who spend time with Him in the word and prayer, have given up on people. Uh, They're much more comfortable just doing their own thing and taking care of themselves and not worrying about other people because they're so disappointed with the response of some of the things that they have tried to do and the effort doesn't seem to be worth it to them. I think at times we all feel that way. And I'm sure the Apostle Paul felt that way as he wrote these words in 1 Corinthians. Because he's working with the people... Uh, that are very disappointing to him, very disappointing. He had spent 18 months there establishing a church, 18 months preaching and teaching the Word of God. He had established these people. Uh, They are uh, people who have had other wonderful teachers follow him and teach there as well. There's been uh, a lot of gifts given to them. They have all the spiritual gifts as far as we can tell Uh, In this particular book, we have uh, lots of other wonderful things. The Holy Spirit is in them. A lot of teaching about the Holy Spirit being involved in their lives. They have all that going for them. And yet, here they are six uh, years later. And they apparently made no spiritual progress whatsoever. Uh, Perhaps they're even further behind than they were in the first few months of their Christian experience. And that was very disappointing to the Apostle Paul. And as he writes these words... He writes to a church that is very satisfied with the simple milk of the Word of God, but have not benefited from the sustenance, the meat, the solid food of the Word of God, and therefore they have never really progressed very far. matter of fact, verse 2 tells us in this passage that they still needed milk, although they uh, they thought they needed milk, although uh, what they really needed was the Word of God. That doesn't mean they haven't grown numerically. I think this church has grown numerically matter of fact, the first couple of chapters, Paul is talking about the, the problem they had of watering down the gospel to make it more palatable to the world around them. Uh, they, they figured if they made it easier, if they, they didn't they knocked off the rough edges, uh, they uh, kind of blended uh, the truth of God's word with the philosophies of the world around them, that more people would come. And perhaps they had, because this church is, uh, they're looking, they're, they'd watered down the truth, and they got watered down converts Uh, They had uh, a lot of new believers perhaps coming to this church, but they had not changed spiritually in any any significant way. Uh, And so instead of the church and the Word of God transforming them, uh, the church uh, found a group of people that were being polluted. The church itself was being polluted by these people. Instead of the church getting into the world, the world had gotten into the church. And it was a mess. This is the messiest church in the New Testament is a church full of, as Paul says in this chapter, spiritual babies. All sorts of problems would form as a result of that. That's, Paul's going to get into that as he moves throughout the book. The very first one he deals with, and the one he's been dealing with all along, is that of divisions and quarrels and, and fussings and fightings going on in the body of Christ there at Corinth. And so he's been talking about that. He, he, he traces it back, as we saw before, to the arrogance and the pride of these people. But uh, now he wants to come to a cure. It's one thing to diagnose the problem. It's another thing to cure the problem. And so he wants to move now to the cure. How do you cure spiritual babies? How do you cure people that are content with being uh, fleshly or carnal, as he calls them in this chapter? What what needs to take place? Uh, It's obvious that as Paul begins this, that they need to grow up. But first, before they grow up, they have to see a need to grow up. And so I would throw that out to each of us today as we look into our own lives, as we look into the text of Scripture, do we recognize where we need to grow up, where it is that we need to mature. And so as Paul begins to show them this, he he wants to show them in this particular church at this particular time that they had not grown up. They were spiritual babies. And there were four marks here of their immaturity that he wanted to identify and talk about and try to lead them to a cure. First of all, verses 1 and 2 they had a prolonged infancy or a stunted spiritual growth. They were just spiritually stunted. Look at verses 1 and 2. And I, and I, brethren, could not speak to you as to spiritual men, but as to men of flesh, as to infants in Christ. I gave you milk to drink and not solid food, for you're not yet able to receive it. Indeed, even now you're not yet able. Undoubtedly, these uh, Christians thought that they had moved on from milk that they had actually progressed in that regard. And they they were ready for the main course. As a matter of fact, when we get to chapter 4, verses 6 to 9, they thought they had gone beyond the Apostle Paul. They they thought they reigned as kings, and the Apostle Paul was underneath them in a a spiritual sense. They thought they had become the teachers, and Paul needed to listen to them. How about that? That's how arrogant and proudful they had become. But Paul doesn't pull any punches. Uh, He moves right in, and he informs them that they don't know what they're talking about. And they are spiritual babies in need of true spiritual food. Uh, Paul had made some attempt to speak uh, of the deeper truths, apparently, of the Word of God to them. And they had not been able to digest them. They had not been able to take them in. And so Paul is recognizing the the issue here. Now, as we look at this, as we move into what gave them away, how Paul can look at their lives and know that they had not progressed. Before we look at that, I want to give you the big picture of this section. And I will say it now and I'll repeat it at the end. But I want you to get it very clearly. The big picture is this. He knew that they were spiritual babies because they did not desire and they could not digest solid spiritual truth. Get that? He knew they were spiritual babies because they did not desire and they could not digest solid spiritual truth. And that's how he knew right up front that they were going nowhere for the Lord. What gave them away? Well, let's look at two things in particular. First of all, their dependency. He's using this metaphor as a baby or an infant. It says, And I, brethren, could not speak to you as to spiritual men, but as to men of flesh, as to infants in Christ. Dependency. You know, a baby cannot do anything for itself. A little baby can't. It can't dress itself. It can't feed itself. It cannot take care of its basic needs. I remember... When our, our children were born, our two boys were born, and the first time I held them, and you, you held them in your arms and you looked at them and you thought they're the most beautiful things you had ever seen in life. Remember that? Even though one of them had hair on his ears like a monkey, but I won't, I won't mention which one that is. Was is the beautiful, most beautiful hair on ears I've ever seen. And uh, I, w- I would look at, the, at their faces. They were gorgeous. They were beautiful. And we were just waiting for them to do something like open an eye. Remember that? Oh look, an eyes open. Whoa, you know, kids can't do much. You know, and it doesn't take much to impress mom and dad at that stage in life. But, but I also thought about how fragile they were. You know, without us, without a adult uh, a help, they could not function. They could not su- survive. They would die. They were absolutely dependent upon their parents and upon other adults to take care of them. As they grew up, they began to do more and more for themselves. Obviously. Uh, It was so nice when they were able to actually dress themselves uh, for Sunday morning. Uh, That was about 16 or 17 when they could do that. But it was so nice you didn't have to do that for them. You know, They, they progressively got better and better. It was a slow process, but it happened. Yeah. Some moaning going on around here. Okay. And what about walking? The scriptures often use the metaphor of walking as a picture of the spiritual life. I think it's a great metaphor. It's a, walking implies a number of things. One, it, it, it talks about progress. Walking, you move forward, right? Walking also means dependency. Uh, if you're going to walk properly, you've got to take one foot off the ground and move it forward. Balancing on the other foot. And so there is that, that, that dependency and, the, and the coordination and so forth. So there's lots of beautiful parts that go with that as far as walking. But children, you have to wonder as, as toddlers begin to walk, you have to wonder why. You know, they, they get up, they, fall, they take a, their first wobbly step, and where parents are all so excited about it, and they take that little wobbly step and they fall down. And then they get up and they do it again. And within the next few weeks, they bump their head about 30 times. They bloodied their nose. They have knots all over the place. And yet they keep going. Why? Well, the Lord has built something in the heart of the human being that they want to get up and walk. They want to move forward. Right? What, what baby doesn't want to do that no matter what the consequences are? That's, that's what babies do. That's what toddlers do. That same desire should be in the heart of every Christian. On a spiritual sense that desire to get up and move that desire to move forward that desire to keep keeping those steps even if they fall down once in a while and bump their heads spiritually speaking and things don't go well they get back up and if they don't get back up it's a sign of something seriously not right in their lives but the immature Christians the one Paul's talking about here didn't seem to have that desire they didn't want to go forward. They were, didn't, they, they were very content with where they were at that point in time. And with little, little Christians, baby Christians, you're always having to, to help them. They want an emotional thrill rather than the truth of God's word. Uh, they, they have to be encouraged a lot. They have, they're, always, they're up and down. One day they're doing well, other days they're doing lousy. About uh, the time you think uh, a young Christian is moving forward... And about you're saying, Praise the Lord. And next thing you know, they're down again. I remember a n- number of years ago now, we had a family coming to our church and they were just going great guns. As a matter of fact, they wrote me a letter. I ran, I ran across this letter accidentally the other day. So I was thinking about it. Uh, I was I looking for something else and I found this letter. That's kind of how I, I do things things I'm looking for. I can't find for three years. I find it in the wrong folder, but I found this letter. And as I looked at this letter, this, the letter said this, we're so grateful to come to Southern View Chapel. Uh, we're so, so hungry for the Word of God, and you're teaching us the Word of God, and, and we're growing in Christ like, like weeds. It's wonderful, what a, and what a fellowship, blah, blah, blah. It was a glorious letter. About a month later, they were gone, and I've never seen them since. Something went wrong, something they didn't like. Somebody said something to them they didn't appreciate. I don't know who it was. It might have been me. I, they never told us, but they're gone. Baby Christians. That's what happens with baby Christians. They're moving forward. Something doesn't go right. They fall apart. Well, folks, things don't ever always go right, do they? And so, the progressing in the Lord is that's part of the process. Expect that. And Paul's concerned about these, these infants here. Now, secondly, not only were they dependent, but they're unable to feed themselves. I want to look at that in verse two. I gave you milk to drink, but not, uh, not solid food, for you are not yet able to receive it, and did even now you are not yet able to receive it. A baby cannot feed themselves. That's one of the great joys, right, of feeding a child, little baby. Uh, I don't know if it's much of a joy or not. It's uh, especially as they start trying to feed themselves. Remember that. And You know, a kid eating macaroni and cheese or spaghetti, a little toddler, um, you have to have a strong stomach to be in the presence of that. And, and you have to wonder how in the world can they get all that on their hair and their face and the floor and everywhere else, and it doesn't bother them. You know, you get a little thing on the side of your cheek, you know, and you're, you're wiping it off with three rags, and a kid just smeared, and he doesn't care. That's how, that's how kids are. They, they, they try to feed themselves, and they're a mess. Sometimes it takes 20 years for a boy to find his mouth. <laughs> well, the spiritual baby is kind of the same way. Uh, they can't feed themselves. Uh, they go to church. If they're, if they're fortunate enough to go to a good church that teaches the Word of God, they're going to get something uh, as when they go, and they'll get a little bit here and there, but they're not feeding themselves on top of that, and so they're not progressing very well. They're not learning to feed themselves, and they don't seem to care. They might try once in a while, but they make a mess. Oh, I don't know how to do this. And so they stop, and they don't progress. We teach here at the church year after year after year after year how to study the Bible. And yet, I would say there'd be quite a number of you that come to me and say, I don't know how to study the Bible. I've been here 30 years, but I don't know how to study the Bible. How could it be when it's taught on a consistent basis? That's because we, we make a mess, and we quit, and we back off, and we don't do it. In addition, left to themselves, what would children eat? Uh, we, uh, we have the grandkids over and we have a stash of Pop-Tart, very nutritious food. And uh, we're watching constantly as our Pop-Tart stash disappears when they're over. It seems like uh, that is the food of choice in, in our house, along with other things that we'll talk about. But what you leave a kid to himself, what will they eat? They're not going to eat the best stuff usually, they're going to eat the junk stuff. And that's the way spiritual babies are as well. They're not graduating to the meat of the word. They're content with the junk of the word. And in this case, the milk, which is necessary, but only as a preliminary to the other. Now, I'm going to say this uh, for for clarification. What is the difference between the milk of the word and the meat of the word? What's the difference? The milk of the word is not different doctrines. You know, like uh, the doctrine of salvation is milk while the doctrine of eschatology, or end times, is the meat. It's not different doctrines. Uh, It's the depth of those doctrines. It's digging into them so that you understand the riches and the treasures of the Lord Jesus himself. So let me give you real quickly three examples. Uh, We used to teach here, and I hope we still do, because one of the most doctrinally sound songs we're ever going to sing in our church is... A wise man built his house upon a rock. It's doctrinally sound, Marshall. Don't laugh at me. It's a, okay. If, if, quite frankly, as we teach those toddlers, bam, bam, bam. Remember that? So we've got the song. That's straight from the words of Jesus. Pretty good stuff. We, we, we're teaching them that. We're teaching them the, the song. We're teaching them the actions. And quite frankly, if they apply that song for the rest of their lives, they're going to do well spiritually. Because when you build your life on the foundation of the Lord Jesus Christ, all else takes place on top of that, and we move forward. But if you don't build your life on the Lord Jesus Christ, as the song says, then your life is going to go splat. Is that, is that the right word? Splat? Flat? So I like splat. Okay, splat. And that's, that's just, I mean, we can look at our people we've known for 20, 30 years, and you, just, you can just put that together. They build their lives on the foundation of Jesus Christ, they move forward. They have their ups and downs, but they move forward. Though they build, those that reject that and build on the wrong foundation, their lives eventually go splat. That's doctrinally sound, but that's for a two-year-old. So as you grow up, get older, you start life gets more complicated, doesn't it? And all those little pieces of our life, from our work life to our family life to our financial life to our moral life and on and on, all of those need to be built on a foundation of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's more complicated. It's much more in-depth. But that's the meat of the word being applied to our lives. Take a, take a second one. Uh, how about the issue of uh, Hebrews chapter 5 and the priesthood of Jesus Christ? Every little child is taught and can be taught that you can pray to Jesus and he'll listen and he'll care and he will love you. Every little child should be taught that by their parents and by our church. They should know that and they can do that. And so little simple prayers. You ever listen to a child pray? A child, children just pray out of their heart. They could pray for almost anything but they know Jesus is listening and cares. What a wonderful foundation. But as you grow up, and you look at that passage of Scripture, you know that the Lord Jesus is our great high priest. And that means that, that he, what, we know what he has done to make it possible. That we can go straight to the Father through the Lord Jesus, and he will hear, and he will listen, and he'll help. And, and he had to do all that to, in a way that was different from the Old Testament. And, and then we know also that he, he brought in a new covenant. What does it wasn't mean means to, to live under a new covenant, That the old covenant didn't have. All that's the meat. That enriches our lives. And deepens us. And makes us fall over and over and over again. In love with the Lord Jesus. And then how about the Holy Spirit? Even a little child can be taught. That there is a Holy Spirit. uh, That the Holy Spirit exists. And as a Christian. The Holy Spirit lives in us. They may not get all that. You don't get all that. But. It's true, and they can grasp some of that. But, do you understand all the multitude of ministries of the Holy Spirit in your life? The, the, the great magnitude, the many facets of His work in your life. That's the meat of the Word. And if you're not real handy on that, make sure you show up for Sunday school today because I'll be teaching that here in this room for 45 minutes on an overview of the great facets of the ministry of the Holy Spirit that takes us into the meat of the Word. That's what he's talking about here. It wasn't that they didn't get the foundation, the very basics. It's it's they didn't get the riches and the depths and the glories and the wonders of the Lord Jesus and what he has for us. And because they weren't getting that, they weren't growing. You know, you get stale in a hurry. If you do the same thing over and over and over again, and never progress, you get stale. Christians should not get stale. They should press on. Let's move on. He says, first of all, that uh, one of the right things that gave them away is they were stunted spiritually. Now, uh, let me repeat what I just said a moment ago. He knew that because they did not desire and they could not digest solid spiritual food. So, I knew that. Now, secondly, he knew it because they were self-centered. He says in verse 3, for you are still fleshly. And King James says carnal, but the fleshly is the actual Greek word, and that helps us. Babies are very, very cute. It's a good thing because they're very, very self-centered, as you know. A kid doesn't care. A baby doesn't care that at 3 o'clock in the morning you are wore out or sick. If they want something, they're going to cry. And they don't care a bit about you. They're self-centered by their very nature. A spiritually immature person is the same way. They don't care about the other people in the body of Christ. They don't care about what other people think. They don't care if they're ministering to others. They want what they want. They want it now and they want others to reach out to them. They spend their time concerned about themselves and not about others and they're never satisfied. Selfish people are never satisfied That goes with the territory of self-centeredness. These Christians were fleshly. They were spiritual infants because they were focused on themselves. That's the point. The thing is that self-centered people seldom know they're self-centered. George Orwell gave a very interesting illustration in one of his books of eating, I think he was eating outdoors, and he had a, a, a piece of bread with jam on it. And a wasp came and landed on his jam, started sucking it up. He thought it was very interesting. He took a knife and cut the wasp in two. And the wasp didn't notice. So he observed the wasp continuing to suck up the jam and it's squirting out the back of his esophagus. Pretty cool stuff, huh? Try it next time you have a picnic. And the wasp didn't know it was in a predicament until it tried to fly away. And then not realized it no longer had wings. Well, sadly enough, immature Christians don't know they're immature. They don't know they're self-centered. And they don't know it until something comes along that that challenges their life. And suddenly they realize, I've got no means of flying. I've got no means of going forward and and dealing with these issues in life because I have no basis, no no solidarity in Christ. And that's what was going on here, this self-centeredness. Thirdly, they were in perpetual conflict. We see that again in verse 3. For you're still fleshly. For since there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not fleshly? And are you not walking as mere men? So he tells them here that they're in perpetual conflict. He said, I look around and I see jealousy and I see strife, division among you. That's the life of the immature, always in conflict. Warren Wiersbe says this, the mature Christian practices love and seeks to get along with others. He uses his gifts as tools to build with while an immature believer uses gifts as toys to play with or trophies to boast about. Conflicts in the church is evidence. Any local church is, has heavy conflicts. That's evidence of the conflict in the lives of individuals. You find a troublemaker in the church, you find a troubled person. The conflict is in their own hearts and it flows out into the lives of those around them that's what's going on here they're babies they won't grow up they haven't progressed in the Lord as a result of that they're in conflict with people all the time jealousy and strife was exhibit A finally number four I'm going to call it worldliness but look at the, again at verse 3 it says are you not walking like mere men and in verse 4 for when one says I am of Paul and another I am of Apollos are you not mere men so I've calling it worldliness, but you could call it a humanness if you want to, mere man. Notice, notice he's given them really three insults here in this text. It doesn't seem to bother him any. He's called them infants or babies. He's called them fleshly or carnal. And now he calls them mere men or humanly because they're behaving at just like they would behave if they weren't Christians. Look back at 2.14. Remember what he said there? But a natural man does not receive the Spirit of God, the things of the Spirit of God. He's talking about a natural man. What does what a natural man cannot, does not even want to receive the things of God. That's natural. That's what they do naturally. And he says you're behaving like a natural person. You're acting, behaving, and, and so forth, just as if you're not a Christian. He doesn't doubt, according to verse 1, that they're in Christ. He calls them infants in Christ. So he doesn't doubt that they're saved. But he's saying here that you're acting like mere men. Alan Redpath, a pastor from a past generation, uh, had a very interesting comment here. I want to read it. He says, quite obviously, his heart is still mostly in the world. The carnal Christian is a child of God, born again and on his way to heaven, but he's traveling third class. That's a good illustration. When I was going to college down in the Appalachian Mountains, um, I didn't come home for hardly at all because it was a long trip. The only way to get home, since I didn't have a car, was to take a bus. And the bus was an 18-hour grueling trip overnight to get home. And I'd never ridden in a Greyhound bus before, and I found I was traveling third class. Let me tell you, there were some very interesting characters on that bus. I remember one night waking up from a... a fitful sleep, looking behind me and there was some guy trying to impress some girl and he had a revolver showing her his revolver. It just happened to be pointed at my head and uh, I thought you know that's probably not the best thing here. Traveling a little third class, right? So the the fleshly Christian, this is what is so tragic folks, The, the baby Christian is a Christian and they're going to go to heaven but they travel this whole life third class. Never benefiting from the marvels and the wonders and the riches and the glories that Christ has prepared for His children on this planet, within the church, within the body of Christ, within within your own spiritual life. That's a tragic, sad way to live. Fleshly Christian, then, is a baby. But the mature. Look at verse fifteen, going on that same idea. He says, "But a uh, chapter two fifteen, but he who is spiritual praises all things." Notice again the contrast. The uh, baby Christian acts like a natural mere man type of person. The spiritual Christian can discern or understand or examine all things. So that they can process these things and, and so forth. Paul would never tell a young man, act like a man. He would tell him to act like Christ. Acting like a man doesn't go very far. It's just natural. Acting like Christ is supernatural. And is possible only through the power of the Spirit and the Word of God. I want you to go back with me to Hebrews chapter 5 for a moment and look at this parallel passage. I think we looked at this last week or the week before. But Hebrews 5, 12 to 14. I just want to show you something here. And I think in a little bitty one sentence footnote in Ryrie's study Bible, he mentions something here that I want to bank off of real quickly. How do we become mature? He gives us three real simple steps because we need some application here. How can you grow up? And Ryrie mentions three things. Let me me go with them. Number one, time. Verse 11. Concerning him, Hebrews 5.11, Concerning him we have much to say. It's hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. So he's got the same kind of people. He's dull of hearing people. For though by this time you ought to be teachers. And I'll stop there. For by this time you ought to be teachers. Well, one of the things we need for spiritual growth is time. We're not born whole. We're not born in a sense of maturity. We're not, we're not complete in that way. We're growing. We're in process. God knows that. It takes time. It takes a lifetime to grow. But it should be progressive. And folks, time itself doesn't change anything. You can, be, you can have the same sins at 80 that you had at 20. You can process life at, at 80 as just the same way you did at 20. You can, be, you can be a fool at 80 as you were at 20. Time doesn't change a thing, time just marches on. It's what you do at that time. And he says, by this time, with all the resources at your disposal, there should have been some evidence of spiritual growth and maturity. But he says, in your case, it is not. Secondly, In this process, not only time, but growth in the knowledge of the word of God. Let's go on in verse 12. You have need again for someone to teach you the elementary principles of the oracle of God, oracles of God, and you have come to need milk and not solid food. For everyone who partakes only of milk is not accustomed to the word of righteousness, for he is an infant. Growth in the knowledge of the word of God has been given to them, They needed to grab it. They needed to process it. Here's the great enemy of progress. Contentment. Now, we need to be content in some ways, right? Contentment in Christ and so forth is very, very valuable. But to be content with your spiritual progress is the enemy of spiritual growth. Don't become content with that. Keep on growing. It's always been uh, my joy to watch older Christians who still love the Lord... Love his word and demonstrate that. And Christians, uh, you older saints, uh, you keep that up. You stay in the word. You, you maybe you, the, the younger people are watching you whether you know it or not. And you're going to set an example for them by the fact that you're an older person still loving the things of the Lord. I have in my possession an old Schofield reference Bible. When I was a, a young man, one of the most meaningful people in my church was an older couple that I knew loved the Lord and loved me. Just, just I, I adored them. They, they were so kind to me. He died of a heart attack and uh, his wife gave me his Schofield Reference Bible. His older man. I've kept it all these years. I've never used it. I've got plenty of Bibles, but I keep it as a reminder. And as I look through it every once in a while, you know what I find? Pages worn out written on in tatters this old man loved Christ you know what that did for me that did a lot for me because here was a man who didn't play the game here was a man who didn't get content at 25 here was a man that kept on going to the very end of his life walking with Jesus Christ and that's the way it ought to be if you're 85 105 whatever age you are you're not done yet until the Lord takes you home. Progress in him. Move on in his word. Thirdly, we find here not only time and growth in the knowledge of the word, but experience and training. Look at the end of verse 14. Or, or go to verse 14. But solid food, food is for the mature who because of practice have had their senses trained to discern good and evil. Practice. To discern. Trained. How do you get good at anything? You Practice. Remember, if you were on a sports team, you, you went to baseball practice or soccer practice. If you're trying to learn an instrument, you remember your mother saying, go to the other room and practice. How do you get good? How do you, you train yourself? It's a training. Same thing with the things of the Lord. You don't mature without the practice of these things. Sometimes you get tired, perhaps. But all in time, that practice Trains us to discern that which is good and evil. That's one reason we're starting this uh, Bible Training Institute on Sunday night, uh, beginning next week. We want to press you on in the training and the practice of the Word of God. Don't you get content with Sunday morning. If you're content with Sunday morning, you need to wake up. You need to say, There's more out there. There's more I can be. And the Lord is going to, under all the resources of this church and other things that can help you grow in Christ, you grab them. Don't be be content to be a baby Christian. Let me go back to our passage for one last second. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. The goal of this section was not to encourage them to a deeper theological understanding and knowledge. That's not a bad thing, of course. Very important thing, by the way. But the goal was that they would take that knowledge and apply that knowledge and grow up they needed to abandon their childish behavior and appropriate the mind of Christ in such a way that to become more what Christ wants them to be. In chapter 2, verse 6, he said this to them, Yet we do speak wisdom among, among those who are mature of wisdom, however, not of this age, nor of the rulers of this age who are passing away, but we speak God's wisdom in a mystery, the hidden wisdom which God predestined before the ages to our glory. That's for you this mystery, this hidden wisdom that God has uncovered and given to you as a child of God in his word that we might be what God wants us to be. Now I would be remiss if if I wouldn't say this. There are some people who take this passage of scripture and use it to teach that there are two classes of Christians. There's the carnal Christian and the spiritual Christian. And, And we can be content in those categories. And if we're a carnal fleshly Christian then that's just what you are and so be it. That is not what he's saying. And that's a misuse of this passage. No one should ever be content with being an infant Christian or a fleshly Christian. We should want to progress on and move forward. I want to close with a little quote from one of my favorite books of all time. J.C. Ryle wrote a book called Holiness. It's one of my favorite books that I've ever read. And he says this in the opening sections. He says, a little child is easily quieted and amused with gaudy toys and dolls and rattles so long as it's not hungry. But once, it, once let it feel the cravings of nature within and we know that nothing will satisfy but food. Just so it is with man, the, with man in the matter of his soul. Then he mentions a lot of, of just to- Christian toys that don't matter much. Then he goes on. But once... Let him awake and arise from the dead. And he will not rest content with these things. They will seem to him mere solemn triflings and a waste of time. Once let him see his sin and he must see his Savior. He feels stricken with a deadly disease and nothing will satisfy him but the great physician. He hungers and he thirsts and he must have nothing less than the bread of life. Wow. Let's apply that today. Pray with me. Father, thank you for your wonderful word. Lord, may, may no one in this room, Lord, be content to be a baby Christian. And for those that have not come to you for salvation, may today they look into their lives by the power of your spirit and see a need for Christ that they might come to you and have new life to be, be born again, regenerated, and they can now grow up in you and have all that you have provided for your children. We thank you for these things in Christ's name. Amen.